0: Hey everyone, my name is Mohamed Asadullah, and I'm your host for Freelance Canada, a show about what it's really like to freelance in Canada. Each week I interview Canadian freelancers and industry experts as they get candid about the ever-challenging, always exciting, and sometimes hilarious aspects of freelancing. On the show today, I'm going to talk to Stefan Palios. Stefan has been a freelance writer since 2017 and is now a published author. His first book, The 50 Laws of Freelancing, is all about how freelance business really works. In this episode, Stefan and I talk about how Canadian freelancers can build a pipeline of clients that can enable them to start working full-time on their business. So let's get to it. Awesome. Well, let's get started then. What do you do as a freelancer?
1: I am a freelance writer. I started out just writing for people and have since evolved into more of the whole content life cycle around um, content strategy, ideation, creating it, editing it, and even helping a little bit with the distribution. That's something that's relatively new for me. And then getting into freelancing was a bit of an accident in the sense that I actually tried to start a tech company in 2015, but I majored in sociology and women's studies. And I, the only coding I know is a sum function on Excel. So that didn't go that well. And I I was hurting for cash. Honestly, I was nearly broke at the time because I spent all of my own money to try to bootstrap the company. It didn't bring in any revenue, and I, I really really needed the cash. And I was approached by Doug Soltis, who was and is the editor. In chief of beta kit. And I just pitched myself and said, I can do a bit of writing. I had done some content marketing for the business. And while it didn't end up generating clients, it actually wasn't a failure of the content. It was a a different failure. And so he read my stuff and said, okay, I'll keep you in mind if I have anything. And it wasn't until about two months later that he reached out and said, Hey, one of our writers is sick. Do you want to just cover this event? Are you free? And it was the next day, and I absolutely was free being broke and not having a business to run. So I I went to the event, and it was an interview with Satish Kanwar, who at the time had just recently had his company, Jet Cooper, acquired by Shopify. Satish is uh, is now a a senior level executive at Shopify and has been there since the acquisition. And I interviewed him, covered the event, and that was about it. And then Doug and the Betica team liked my writing, and they liked how quick I could produce something. I produced a response, or rather an article, about three hours after the event, which was, I didn't know at the time, but very fast. And (laughs) so they said, do you want more work? And I said, okay, yes, I'm broke. I'll take your money. Thank you. And so I I wrote maybe four or five articles for BetaKit, nothing major. And then someone actually cornered me at an event. I was uh, on King West uh, in Toronto, downtown at an event, and someone cornered me i was holding my coffee and he goes wait are you stefan from beta Kit? and i'm like oh my god did i write something bad about you please don't hurt me like we're in public you have to control yourself but going through my head and i said yeah no i am what's up hi and he goes i i love your writing can i please pay you to write for me and i was shocked And at that time, I was actually, I was making a little bit of money, I was doing a tiny bit of consulting, and was job hunting. But of course, I was still, you know, paying off some debts from the failed company, etc, etc. And so without even thinking, I just responded, yes, I'll take your money. And that's actually how I started my freelance business in 2017. (laughs) It was a very crazy experience. And shortly thereafter, someone who I had actually pitched to be a client of the first company, and and she politely declined me, emailed me later after I got this freelance business going that I hadn't told anyone about, and goes, I hear you're a consultant. Can you help me? And so I actually ended up really luckily closing my first thousand dollars of business before I even had registered the business. And I thought, okay, I should probably register this thing. And I took myself to Mars, the Innovation Center in Toronto. I got on the Wi-Fi and I just sat through every page of Government of Canada documentation on registering a business. And I registered it. So that was April 2017. And that is the long story of how I got myself into freelancing.
0: (laughs) That is quite the adventure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And since then, what's going on? How's business?
1: Business is good, you know. Knock on wood. I'm incredibly grateful. I have been really lucky to have the vast majority of my business be inbound. I, I ran the company as a side hustle for two years, from April 2017 to January 2019, and I was working. I had gotten a job at a tech startup, which I needed the stable employment income to help me pay off some debts and again rebuild my financial life after the failed business and. So I ran it as a side hustle and the thing that really helped me was being incredibly focused in what I did. I based my work off the stuff that I did with BetaKit where that was my first client and I still got to work with them and they were able to send me to amazing events and give me access to interview some amazing entrepreneurs and business executives and government folks that helped me build some of my initial network as a writer. I actually got all these clients inbound asking me to write for them and sometimes even edit for them. And that's how I started expanding my offerings. It was pretty much just whatever clients had budget for. And so it went well. And then I actually ended up joining who was at the time my biggest client. So I had my full-time job. I had secured this big client and I was gonna use them as my anchor client to go out on my own. I was actually planning to leave my full-time job at the end of 2017, early 2018 and go full-time because the business had actually exploded from I think $100 in revenue, you know, the first bit. And then I closed the $1,000 client. And then by the end of 2017, I actually hit my job income. I matched my income with my business for in one month. And I was feeling high and mighty. And then what ended up happening was that large client basically said, we don't think we want to keep working with you as a freelancer anymore, but we really like you. Would you like to join? And so they gave me an offer to join as a full-time employee. And I decided to take it. My gut was kind of mixed. It didn't really know what I wanted at the time. So I took the job, and it was a really interesting experience. I was there for uh, just under a year, February 2018 to January 2019. And unfortunately, I was running my business as a side hustle throughout that whole time, but I'd wound it down a little bit, turning away clients because I wanted to focus on this job. And then unfortunately, in January 2019, I actually got laid off. The company did a mass layoff. I was unfortunately impacted But that was the moment that I said, you know what, I'm going to struggle through it and I'm going to build this business because I don't want to have to go through this experience again. And it was actually an interesting, serendipitous moment. I got laid off that morning and then that afternoon, I actually closed a freelance client. So it's been really good. That's not to say it hasn't had some low moments, but on the whole has been such an amazing experience that led to a lot of really good things in 2019, growing the business full time, becoming more sustainable. And in the end, I started giving away free consulting sessions. And that's actually how you and I got in touch Mm -hmm. to just offer as many of the lessons that I had learned as possible, as well as that became my new method of building my network, because I wasn't attending events all the time, like I had been in 2017 and 2018. And through giving some advice and getting the feedback that it was valuable and starting to really think consciously through all of the lessons that I had learned, those notes all came together and informed my book, The 50 Laws of Freelancing. So it's been quite a journey so far, and I'm I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I've had.
0: <laughs> you said how when you were laid off from your full-time work, mm-hmm. that was not an experience you wanted to have again, and so you decided to just double down on freelancing. What was yeah. it about that experience that you didn't want? Because I, I suppose many people, especially now with COVID, have been laid off and they're yeah. looking for work again. But obviously for you, there was something about being laid off that just was not the experience you wanted to have, have happen again.
1: Yeah, so it was three things, and only one of them was the literal layoff experience. So the first one was I'd I'd worked for a few companies in my career to that date and didn't really have the best experience. And, And I don't mean this to blame the companies. They had their positives and negatives, as every company does. And I definitely had some responsibility for my own experience that I didn't necessarily take ownership of at the time. And so I had some individually bad experiences as an employee, and it just wasn't the best vibe for me. I I was always the employee who was like questioning everything and just poking around and asking why something doesn't work. And in some cases, just not really understanding how corporations work sometimes. And I think that was a function of both being young and being uh, a little hardheaded. Then came the actual layoff experience, which for anyone who's been laid off, it, it just sucks. I, I don't know that I've spoken to any person who's ever been laid off that went, oh yeah, that was a really pleasant experience. I'd love to do that again next week. It's really painful on a few levels. There's the personal. It's like, okay, why you? And I've learned to just never ask that question. Uh, you never get the closure that you're actually seeking. Then there is the mechanics of being laid off. There's something embarrassing about walking out of an office with a box. Everybody knows what that means. And so there's the visual element that is really hard to mitigate, even when the company offers to, you know, mail your stuff instead of forcing you to walk out, which in this case that employer actually did. But then it was written about in the media and it's like, well, okay, we all know. The other part of this was thinking consciously about what I actually want in my career. So if I'm allowed to swear once, and it's with a good reason, when I hit rock bottom after my business failed, I made up this system called my Five fucks. And basically the gist of the system was, I'm going to write down the things that I actually want, and that I actually value, and the things that I say that I value as well. And then from there, writing down some action items that if I do those action items, I'm living like I care about the things that I say I care about. And that got me thinking more and more. I made that system in the beginning of 2017, end of 2016, when my business was failing, and it had taken a long time. But at that moment, at the end of 2016, early 2017, I had lost most of my money. Like I said, I was very overweight. I was about 75 pounds overweight. Uh, I was dealing with some mental health issues and depression, and it just was not a fun time. And so I started to see a lot of improvement from this system, and I actually wrote about that on my newsletter, Remotely Inclined. But come 2019, when I got laid off, I looked back on those fucks, sorry, swearing, and I just thought, okay, is being an employee actually going to get me what I want? And is the action of being an employee living like I care about those things that I say I want in my life? And the short answer for me was no. There are many great things about being an employee, but it didn't drive towards what I fundamentally wanted. I needed entrepreneurship. And that was the ultimate decision there to say the struggles of entrepreneurship are preferable for me to the struggles of being an employee.
0: Hmm. And of those five flux, mm-hmm. what would be an example
1: yeah, so actually the same five categories, no matter what, physical health, mental health, financial health, relationships, and what I call the emergency fuck. I, I did that based on the core challenges that I was facing at the time. But if you look at those four categories, that's pretty much how you interact with the world, your body, your mind, your wallet, and your relationships. And so I developed it out and it was super generic for physical health. It was just look good. It was all that I could muster at the time. <laughs> and then for financial health, it was completely reset my foundation within three years. Like, you know, I was in debt. I'd spent a lot of money, et cetera. So I wanted to make that tangible. And then from there, it was just little actions. It was save a little bit more every month. So if I put away 100 bucks, the next month I had to put away 100 and one, you know, it doesn't have to be this enormous multiple. It just has to be more because I want to set the habit of saving more. And for physical health, it was get to the gym two times a week. And that manifested. The, those were just a couple casual examples. And then the emergency fuck was always about making sure that my baseline wasn't full capacity. I knew from the experience with my business that there would always be life's little emergencies that pop up. And if I didn't create capacity for that from the start, I wouldn't be able to deal with emergencies. They would compound and ruin me. And then also I wouldn't be able to take advantage of opportunities. So, for example, my whole financial state was focused on my job at the time because that was going to be my driver of resetting my life. But it was my emergency fuck that allowed me to fulfill a side hustle business because I had that extra 20% capacity allocated to my business, which helped me grow it on the side and not have to worry because I knew that my job was taken care of already, if that makes sense.
0: The other thing I also want to understand is that you mentioned as you had your full-time work, your emergency fuck was supported or being satisfied by your uh, side business. Mm -hmm. How did you grow that side business?
1: Completely inbound, actually. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm very grateful and lucky that I've never really had to send a, a cold pitch. And so what I found was the most impactful for me in terms of building my inbound funnel was three things. One was my one liner. And what I mean by that is a super simple way to both describe myself and be described. And I think that's something that a lot of freelancers or even just entrepreneurs can mess up on. I know that I did a lot. So when I first started learning about it, it was all talk about who you help and talk about this extra thing and talk about the impact you're making on the world. And that ended up with a very odd caption almost of like oh i'm helping businesses change the world with content and it's like okay thanks (laughs) you know it's super not real that might be correct and that might be how i feel about what i'm doing and, and maybe my ultimate vision but not very tangible so i made that far more specific and it was simple i just said i help scaling tech startups with content and it became even more specific to say I write content for scaling tech startups. That was my first one-liner that I found really worked. And the reason that I think it worked was that it made it really easy to describe myself quickly. So at an event or in a Twitter chat or something like that, it's super simple, doesn't require a lot of characters, but then also it's conversational in nature so that you, as an example, could think about me and think, oh yeah, Stefan's the startup writer guy. And so it made referrals and inbounds really easy because other people could casually talk about me. And I've actually been on uh, multiple sales calls where the people have been like, oh, yeah, no, I heard about you from this other person who heard about you from a client. So it wasn't even direct referrals, but second order referrals, because the way that I describe myself is incredibly easy to repeat. The second one was getting involved in 2017. I think I went to 200 tech events. I was out multiple nights a week. I did set a rule that I wouldn't do more than one event in one night because I did that once and it was horrendous. But I was out three to five nights a week and I was doing everything that I possibly could. And when I couldn't afford to pay for the events, I offered to volunteer for the events. And that way, I helped a little bit, I'd show up and move chairs or something, and they would let me in. And so when I was really broke and couldn't afford it, that was a great way to do it. And then when I didn't go to events quite as much, I stayed as involved as I could on social media, I offered those free consulting sessions, like I said, I try to maintain conversations with people as often as I can, and and still went to events. And now even with virtual with COVID, it, it's just all online. So that was a big one where I made up my one-liner and that was number one, but then I actually had to go talk to people about my one-liner and eventually got to a point where people would say like, oh, like you're Stefan, I've seen you enough or heard of you enough. And then the third one was actually asking for referrals the right way. And what I realized was asking for a referral is fundamentally asking for a favor. If I go, you know, hey, Mohammed, I would love if you could refer some business my way. I'm fundamentally asking you for a favor, even if I'm going to compensate you, even if there's an affiliate commission or something to that effect. I'm asking you to spend your social capital on me. And that's not to say you wouldn't. And that's not to say that people aren't happy to do it. But it's not a value add relationship. You're doing something for me and I I didn't like that notion. I didn't want to ask people to do things for me. I, I genuinely believed that I could help people. So I reframed my ask. And instead of saying, hey, Muhammad, could you please refer someone to me? I would just say, hey, Muhammad, if you know any startups that need help with content, I'd be happy to help them. And maybe it was, I'll offer a free consulting session, or maybe it was simply just, you know, I write content for startups, so if if they need any help, let them know. And what I found that did was it would let the person that I'm talking to be a helper to someone else. So instead of asking you to look out into your world, do some research on my behalf, pinpoint who you think would pay me money, and then make a connection I'm instead saying, just exist in your world. And if someone is complaining about their content, you get to come in with a solution and say, hey, I actually know someone if you want an intro. And so that was one thing that I realized generated a lot more referrals. Not all of them worked out, which is okay, but by framing it to empower someone to be a helper, as opposed to asking for someone for a favor. And so those are the three things that were really the most impactful for building my inbound funnel and getting my clients. They're also all three individual laws in my book, which if you do want to buy it, you can read it more in depth, but that's the gist of it. I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to say you have to buy the book to understand what I'm talking about.
0: And just to sort of dive into the book, 50 Laws of Freelancing, what was the driver behind writing that book for you?
1: That's a great question. So I have to give a lot of credit to a coach named Melanie Parrish. And I didn't actually hire her. I interviewed her. She wrote a book called The Experimental Leader. And I interviewed her about that book. And we were just talking about running experiments and removing a lot of pressure from yourself as an entrepreneur and saying, okay, what can you get done quickly that you'll see if you get some progress, you'll see if you like it, you'll see if it helps your business. And so I was running these little experiments. And parts of them were for my newsletter, Remotely Inclined. And it was, okay, I'm going to try this style of writing. I'm going to add a share button to all of my articles and see if people share it more. And then it was about my blog, Pulse Blueprint, which is a, a small little blog about the workplace. And I thought, okay, I'll try these couple things and see if I can generate some awesome contributor content. And so it's not just me talking on the blog. And then I decided to try a little bit bigger. And you know, I was reading another interesting book called Key Person of Influence. And it talked about this idea of writing a book and this idea of putting your thoughts down in in a long form way. And I had already been a writer for some time. I've been writing again since late 2016 and had been doing some pretty long form content. And what I realized was I just had a lot of ideas, and I wanted to focus on something. And so what became the 50 Laws of Freelancing was actually just going to be a blog post originally a long form post, I was going to aim for maybe 2000 words or something and write about the business as it actually operates. And what I mean by that is all of the road tested practical things that I've learned in my own business that I have tested that other people have shared with me, and things that I have consulted with other freelancers on that worked. And it was always in the lens of did it achieve its stated outcome? Because when I was researching the freelance world, when starting my own business, there was so much advice that was very correct, but not very applicable things like be true to yourself. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? And how does it get me more business? You know, it's hard to be true to myself when I can't (laughs) afford food. So I I just thought, okay, I want to, I'm just gonna start writing things down. And I actually sent an email to myself, I was thinking about this, uh, just before bed one night. And I just sent an email with like, okay, well, do this. Don't do this. Avoid this. Here's a concern. Here's something to think about. And I think that email ended up hitting 37 bullet points. And I thought, okay, This is either going to be more of an anthology or a serial or a multi-phase blog post thing or something. And I just went to bed. And then a few days later, I was like, wait, why don't I run an experiment and write a book? Because I already had so many of the points, I had 37, or or I guess I'd actually emailed myself back, and I got up to like 42 or 43. And as I started thinking more, I, I could add a little more and add a little more and add a little more and ended up hitting 50. So the long and short of it was it was just an experiment. And it was something that I did in small pieces where it was, okay, add as many things as I can think of right now, okay, outline it a little bit more, write a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And I've always been doing it in this notion of just in time. And by those little steps, as frequently as I could with client work and such, it all came together pretty quickly. I'd been collecting this information for over a year via all these different data feeds that I mentioned, like consulting and such. And then by the time I actually sat down to write, it came together in just a few months.
0: There's quite a lot there, but I think the biggest thing that has stood out is how are you managing all of this when you have full-time freelance work? There is your remotely inclined publication, there is pulse blueprint, you have your mm-hmm. consulting calls, and then of course you're also writing and somehow managing whatever social life that there is in COVID times. Uh trying. You know, <laughs> How are you balancing all of this?
1: Lots of coffee. Um, so admittedly, part of this was the time that that we got back in our lives with COVID lockdown. And I took real stock of the mini commutes. You know, I'm a remote worker, but I live in downtown Toronto. And sometimes I like to go to a co-working space or visit a client site. And you realize that that takes up hours in your day sometimes. So I did get some time back and I did dedicate a lot of that time to writing. And that was just a circumstantial win and trying to make the best of a really crappy situation globally. But the other part of it was I considered this book my side project. So similar to the five fucks method, this book was my emergency fuck. My financial fuck is dedicated to my job. My relationships dedicated to my partner that I've been with for over two years now And between mental health and physical health, I'm working on uh, different things and staying as in shape as possible without gyms. But it was basically taking any extra capacity I had, I just threw into the book. So I was really okay saying, I don't need to have this outline done this week. I'm going to give it all I have today. And if that's not complete, then I will give it all I have tomorrow and give it all I have the next day. And just being okay, kind of giving myself permission to not follow a timeline. Mm -hmm. um, And instead, follow a did I accomplish something? Have I moved forward? Yes. And that actually created two interesting things. One, it activated my competitive spirit. uh, (laughs) And I wanted to do more. So I'd be like, okay, how can I get more efficient? But It also provided that intrinsic energy that you can get from accomplishment. When you accomplish something, you want more accomplishments. And so it kind of activated that energy. And I actually found energy. I found creativity. And the reason why I think that happened was a little bit of a a guideline, I suppose, that I set for my business when the pandemic started. Because I I looked at what was going on with the pandemic. I was actually traveling when the global shutdown was announced. So I had to rush and get an emergency flight home. And I thought, okay, if this is going to be life now, I am not doing anything that I don't like. Because so much that is out of my control, I really, really don't like. So I started to say to myself, anything that I have control over, make it something I like. And so that's why Remotely Inclined, I started producing more content for it because it was actually, for me, a way to connect with people. Because on the Remotely Inclined podcast, I would interview other remote entrepreneurs. And so I get to meet new people and talk to people, which, especially around COVID, I felt that I really, really needed. It was almost a a statement for my mental health. And 50 Laws of Freelancing, a lot of people would have expected my first book to be more about remote work since I run a newsletter about remote work and I talk very actively about it on social media. But I opted for the 50 Laws of Freelancing because it was an amazing creative outlet for me to talk about a different area of my business. And I enjoy both of those things. And same goes for Pulse Blueprint. I enjoy reading contributed articles that come in. I enjoy writing my own. I like the games that each one is focused on because the newsletter game is one thing. The blogging SEO game is one thing and writing a book is one thing. And that keeps me energized. And so I just I only just did things I liked. I was open to trying anything, but I only stayed with the things I liked. And that's why I think I started to get that energy where I was a little bit competitive with myself and I wanted to do more. But then working actually gave me energy as opposed to took away my energy.
0: Right. And as you've been doing all of these different projects, initiatives, work that give you that energy, that make you feel good, I I suppose how I'm seeing it and maybe other people might is, you know, you have so many different things. How Mm -hmm. are you making time for client work, but more so, how are you ensuring that your client pipeline continues to stay full?
1: Great question. And, you know, my business did take about a 40% hit in the height (sighs) of the pandemic, I'm lucky in the sense that I was very lean and lean by design. I didn't start adding staff even when there was some earlier opportunities to do so, or rather I experimented adding staff and it didn't go all that well. So the first part was being lean and it allowed the business to ebb a little bit, much as I didn't want it to. But then the other thing is the things I mentioned earlier around having a one-liner, getting involved, and being out there and asking for referrals the right way, that still continues for me. And writing Remotely Inclined went from nothing in February 2020 when I launched it, and we're now over 700 Remotely Inclined subscribers. That's not tons and tons when you consider some newsletters, like I think the Hustle has over a million subscribers, but it gets my name out there. And I've actually closed a couple clients because of that. I started spending more time getting involved digitally. I take part in Twitter chats. I build out loud, which is the concept of showing your work when you're building your company, not just uh, marketing the good stuff, but explaining just what you're doing, the good, bad, ugly, whatever. And so that's Helped because I'm no longer afraid to give advice to people for fear of being embarrassed or saying something wrong. I can just explain what I'm up to. So I've been able to connect with people on Reddit, on Indie Hackers, another community, and I've kind of refined my one liner a little bit. It's not just content for startups anymore, but also for venture capitalists and even governments. And so that's the other piece that I've grown a little bit was recognizing where higher quality referral sources can come from. And if if I write for companies, then maybe I should be talking to the existing company communities. And in the tech world, that, that could be venture capitalists. Um, a venture capitalist might interact with 50 companies in any given week. And that's an opportunity for potential referrals. Again, if you think about, hey, if you know anyone that needs help with content, well, if a venture capitalist is mentoring 35 companies, I'm I'm sure a couple of them might have content challenges.
0: And what else would you say should freelancers keep in mind as they think about building their pipeline?
1: Don't be afraid of paperwork for getting U.S. clients or international clients. I've started working with some American clients maybe only about seven months ago, eight months ago, and it's been fantastic. There is definitely some paperwork to deal with, so don't be afraid of it. It's pretty straightforward when you read the guides. But the reason I say that is because it first off opens your market. I think that freelancers need to break the idea that we have to be local, that we have to be the local tech freelancer, whatever. Freelancing is a business just like any other. You have an addressable market just like any other. And there are some limitations around scope. But you can get around a lot of those with automating a lot of administrative tasks, for instance, automating sending invoices and things like that to just save you bits of time here and there to get more done. Because if you only think of your horizons as local, you're missing so much of the equation given how much value can be delivered remotely as the whole world is really picking up on these days.
0: I quite like that and also like your uh, idea of building out loud. I feel a lot of people feel self-conscious or don't want to come across as feeling too egoistic, I suppose. When they're talking about it's like, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to share that kind of uh, stuff publicly because who knows what's going to happen or just don't want it to come across in a manner where it, it seems that I may be a little too full of myself. What are your thoughts for those who may have those types of, Thought process go through or perhaps may even be facing some imposter syndrome there?
1: Yeah. So first one is as a freelancer entrepreneur, you've gotta be your own best advocate. As RuPaul says, if you <laughs> if you don't love yourself, how the heck are you gonna love somebody else? But more tangibly what i found really helped me was two things one finding communities where that kind of conversation is normal and even expected and i think indie hackers is a good example of this if you just show up on indie hackers and don't share what you're trying you're you're less likely to get some engagement the community is focused on helping people just like you the the indie hacker which is the small time entrepreneur the solo entrepreneur the freelancer etc so Finding communities where that is expected of you, I think was great for me because it was a safe space to do it. And then also it kind of taught me how to talk about it without coming across as too boastful. And the thing that I've noticed is there are two kinds of people who build out loud And sometimes people build out loud thinking that it's a marketing channel, which it is in the sense that it can help you get your name out there and has helped me as well. But it can't start from that. It has to start from helping people. So what I found to be the most helpful for me and the, the most resonating for me is I'll look at an ask for help or an experience that I want to share. And think very consciously about if it can actually help someone. So if someone posts a question asking about content and how can I write faster or something to that effect, I have very legitimate experiences that I can share. And the way that I frame it is very much what I did was this or I approach it thinking about these things so that you're not stating that your answer is the best answer in the world. You're not stating that you have solved everything and you're not stating any guarantees of success. You're just explaining what you did to give that person an idea, a potential solution for them to try out. And when it comes to sharing an experience ad hoc where you bring it forward, for me, I've often think consciously about whether someone can read what I wrote and then go do something about it, as opposed to think of me as interesting. It's it's almost like who I am is secondary to what was done. So I frame it as I was trying to accomplish X. Here's what I did that helped me accomplish X. So if you're trying to accomplish X, maybe try these out. I hope it helps. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, hey, look what I did. Look how great I am. Look how smart I am. So I, I, that's how I've thought about it most is find those communities where what you want to talk about is valued and asked for, and then put your identity secondary focus on the accomplishment and the action. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I've really enjoyed learning from you. Uh, there is so much here. I've got plenty of sticky notes with scribbles written down. So as we wrap up, where can people find out more about you and your work online?
1: Twitter is probably best at Stefan Palios. My DMs are open as well. So if you want to say hi, and then you can find the 50 Laws of Freelancing on Amazon. Yeah, we'll make sure to include it in the show
0: notes and link to it when it's live. So I'm super excited for that. Stephan, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Well, that's our show for today. If you like Freelance Canada, then be sure to subscribe to your newsletter by visiting FreelanceCanada.fm. You'll get access to all of my personal notes, as well as book recommendations about the topics discussed in the episode. Now, you will not find any of this on our website, so be sure to subscribe if you don't want to miss it. As with most podcasts, you can listen to every episode through Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot if you could leave us a five-star review. It would mean even more if you shared a podcast with another freelancer so it can help them in their journey too. Finally, if you're tired of leaving money on the table because you don't know which of your expenses you can write off, then sign up for Benji. You can start your 90-day free trial by visiting betterwithbenji.com because freelance life is better with Benji. Thanks for listening.